Today's scripture is Ephesians 2, 4 through 7. You can remain standing for the reading of God's word. But God, being rich in mercy because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved. And raised us up with him and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus, so that in the coming ages he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace and kindness towards us in Christ Jesus. This is the word of the Lord. You guys can take a seat. Thank you, Allison. Oh, that's not good. Good morning again, everybody. Uh, my name is Sean. If I don't know you, I'm the lead pastor here, teaching pastor for uh, Redemption Peoria. Redemption Church is one church. We have uh, 10 different congregations spread throughout the state of Arizona. Love to help you navigate all that. Um, I th- believe you guys got a bulletin coming in. That will help uh, provide some resources uh, and some ways to get connected and, and all that. Um, I want to jump in uh, immediately because there's a, a lot to cover um, and then I kind of want to start with just where I'm at with the text, uh, just personally, and some things I'd like to share up front. So let me pray just that God would give us the ability to see Ephesians 2, 4 through 7, right? I think there's a lot of things that we know in this text already, but I, honestly, through the power of the Holy Spirit, uh, you know, um, he can do some really amazing things within our hearts. So let me pray for that real quick. Father, thank you so much for your word. Thank you for the reminder that we will receive today. Thanks for um, where it comes from in the first three verses of this chapter that um, where we were is not where we are as believers, and that's good news. Let that do something to our souls today. In Jesus' name, amen. Um, So I want to start with just a little bit of an insecurity. Um, You know, there's something about my job specifically, as, as we do this every single week on Sundays, um, as being the predominant teacher for Redemption Peoria, there's this insecurity that I deal with a lot that I feel like when we get to passages like this, there's almost um, a feeling of like, yeah, I know, right? Like, okay, we've, we've covered that before. Um, and, and honestly, as we, we go through this passage, that has kind of rung a little bit in, in my mind thinking, and, and it might just be an insecurity on my part, but like, Dude, we, we know this truth. We've heard it. For some of you, growing up in the church, you've heard what we're going to talk about today quite literally thousands of times. And um, I, I want to let you know where, where I am in processing some of uh, just the grace of God. And, and here's just full disclosure. There, there are more moments than not where I feel like God is just so far. Like there, there are times when I feel like even right now where I'm in a season where I am truly everything within me is trying to press into God and I feel like he's not there. I feel like, like, are you mad at me, God? Like, are you not, why aren't you talking to me? I feel like there's a, a disconnect, this, this void. Am I crazy? I'm, I'm up in my head about it. I, I like, I, I'm questioning and I, I just, I feel like I, I, I don't know what to say to him or how to, how to get in connection with him. I, I don't know what to do with that at times. And all I have in those moments, this moment, is what you've heard a thousand times. All I have, all you have in those moments, is what you know to be true. Why the Bible talks about grace so much is because you need to hear about it 
so much. I mean, I find myself so much like Peter at times, like sinking back into the water and him looking at me and going, why do you have such little faith? Like, like I, I, I'm there like as, as Thomas and, and I'm just going, I, you know what? It is what it, like, I'll believe it if I see it. And he's going, but it's better if you, you believe it without seeing it. Or like Nicodemus, I'm sneaking away at night. God going, okay, God, like, yes, I believe you're real, but what about this? What about this? And, and I feel like he's directly talking to me there in John 3 going, you're a teacher and you're, 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 you're questioning these things. It feels like over and over and over again, there's this disconnect. And all I have to know is what's in the scripture in those moments. And I'm not saying that as a pastor. I'm saying that as a, a believer in Jesus Christ. As a follower of Jesus Christ, it feels difficult at times. Listen, nobody's got to talk you into sinning, homie. No, nobody's got to go. Like you ain't sitting there going, oh, I, I really got a three o'clock stealing appointment. I, can't, I keep canceling on it. No, it comes natural. You naturally, your proclivity is to naturally sin. And in the same exact way, your proclivity is to forget grace. It just isn't something that's coming natural. You depend on your religious tendencies to think you're in and out with God. And so we live in a culture that tells you you can fall out of love or the joy is out of the job. And so you don't feel like you can have long faithfulness in the same direction. But the Bible puts in front of us over and over and over again to remind us to set our hearts, to create rhythms, to go even when you feel like this isn't true, it's true. Abraham, you feel like you're far, but it's true. David, you feel like I'm not there. You feel like I've forsaken you. It's true. Jeremiah, it's true. Elijah, it's true. Jesus on the cross, it's true. So, so just know, as we go into this text, there's an element of this that, that, that I think should stir and churn something within us. But if we're not careful, we can allow our emotions to dictate how we truly do or how we should feel, maybe it's a better way to say it, how we should feel about the text. So let's jump in. We're in Ephesians chapter 2, verse 4. And, and as I read this, I want to start. Um, it's important to know, I'm going to dive into the context uh, a lot more as we get further in the verse. But just know, if you weren't here last week, um, Eric preached last week when we were at Paseo, and the first three verses are just detrimental. Let me just put it like real short. You were hopeless. You had no chance. On your own, in your old life, maybe now, without Jesus Christ, you were hopeless. You didn't have a chance. And I don't mean there was maybe a chance. There was no chance. Dead people can do nothing. You were dead. So in that place where you were, if you could just remember, maybe you were saved later in life, so there's tinges of memories. You could, you, you could kind of even scroll back in your Facebook far enough to remember that was the old life you used to have. Maybe you can go back there far enough. Maybe you can't, but, but, but maybe it, it wasn't true of debauchery. Maybe it was true of just being the, the moralistic police as a kid because you were raised in church. The self-righteousness that you have, whatever it was, you, you were dead in your trespasses. There you were, and God responds. Our, our first two words are, um, are just monumental in Scripture. But God. There you were, but God. And man, I don't want you just to hear these two words only be true here. It's all over Scripture. When there are moments of 
desperation. There are moments when there feels like there is no hope. When there, there are moments when the men and women of God felt like they were alone, but God. Let me, I mean, I'm not joking when I say dozens of examples. Let me read just a few of them. Uh, a, a great example is in uh, Genesis 50. This is Joseph after being brought out of prison. His brother sold him into slavery. All bad. Listen to this. We're, we're f- probably familiar with this. You probably heard it somewhere. You meant evil against me, but God meant it for good. This is God responding. Even in the Psalms, listen to different literature. I'm going to share different forms of the literature in Scripture. Psalms 49, but God will redeem my soul from the power of the grave. That's but God. In Acts 13.30, in responding to how Jesus, recognizing how Jesus raised from the dead, this is the language that's used in 13.30. But God raised him from the dead. Jesus was dead in the grave, the resurrection which we will celebrate next week. God, but God, there he was. He was dead like you were dead. But God raised him from the grave. In 1 Corinthians 3, 7. So then, and I love this because this is super paramount to the way that we live our lives. So then neither he who plants is anything nor he who waters, but God who gives the increase. Like over and over and over, there's an element that God is doing this. That there, are, there is brokenness, there is shatteredness. God puts it together. It's there, but God does it. It's dead, but God brings it to life. That's just true. So before we get to exactly what he did while we were in our dead state, just know he did something. But God did something. As you were dead there, he did something. Now, even still, before we get to exactly what he did, Paul lets us in to why. I love it. Listen to this. But God, being, I love this state of being, this is, it's being rich in mercy. It's not like he just, he's has mercy and he's rich. It's being rich in mercy because of the great love with which he loved us. So before we get to exactly what he did, um, there's an element here that we get to the motivation. So here you are. He did something. Okay, cool. Let's get to what he did. Well, before we get to what he did, let's talk about why he did it. Because he is full of mercy. Because he loves you. Whatever he did, whatever he did in this, he did it because he loves you. Now, this is, this is where it becomes uh, difficult because I think this truth is transcendent beyond just our text today. I mean, every encounter that we have within scripture and to, to modern day is God responding, but not just responding because he has to, but responding, hear me, because he loves you. So, so let, let, let's think through some of these, because I, I know there are moments of, um, man, death and brokenness and loss. And I, I want to say just very quickly, yeah, God is still in, God in his mercy, in his love, allows those things to take place. But can we just sit for a moment, as our text almost demands us to, in the victory of some of this? That like, when there was nothing in love, he created animals, he created plant life. He created the universe. In love, he did that. In love, he took Joseph out of prison, as we just read. It was in love, 400 years of slavery, and he takes his people through crazy, miraculous things. In love. Elijah calling fire from heaven allows this to take place. In love. David and Goliath, Jeremiah, you know the stories. These are all that the talking vegetables told us about, but we're callous to. Because, 
Because the reality is we, we see them as these veneer stories, but we don't see Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego as here are three people whose lives are about to go. They're about to be burned alive, but in love, his wings of grace are over him. In love, he does that. In love, he allows Peter to walk on water. In love, he breaks the shackles of Paul in prison. In love, he brought you out of Mormonism. In love, he brought you out of debauchery. In love, he brought you out of self-hate, self-guilt. That was in love. I mean, can we just be grateful for a moment, wherever we were, this is why he brought us out of it. Or this is how he responded. Whatever it is, the motivation in which he responded, but God, it was because he's rich in mercy and he is full of love. I mean, man, just the, the, the gratefulness that makes me want to just keep going. I mean, think of your life now. Even now, some of you like in sweet seasons, he's given you your spouse. He's given you your job. He's given you the school you're going to, the friends that you have, your children, your home, the food you eat in love. You know how many people won't eat today? He's given you food. You know how many people don't have shelter in this world? He's given you a home in love, in love. This truth, him being rich in mercy and full of love because of the love which he has for us is a universal, paramount truth through all of Scripture, all of history, and modern day. So God responds, and we get his motivation, and then we get to actually what he does. And this is where we got to talk a little bit about uh, some of the context here. So even when we were dead in our trespasses, he made us alive together with Christ. By grace, you have been saved. So you're obviously looking at the text, I'm hoping, um, I want to look back at exactly what Eric read. I I don't have much to add uh, to what Eric read. Apparently my Bible doesn't have the book of Ephesians in it. Um, uh, But I do want to read this because this is important. As you look at verse 4, but God being rich in mercy because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we are dead in our trespasses, uh, when we are dead in our trespasses, as you see it, is immediate jump back to the way that the chapter began. Look at, look at chapter 1. And when we were dead in our trespasses. Now this is important, okay? I think Paul's doing something here. Um, he's, he's pocketing this idea of trespasses um, with us seeing it now. And I don't have anything to add in which Eric said, but there is one word that I think we can just skip over. It's a tiny little word, and it's the word in. In Greek, it's real easy. It's en. In Greek, that's literally how it's pronounced. Um, so, so here, here's why I think this word is important because it doesn't say you were dead because of your trespasses or you were dead from the trespasses in which you committed. I I think those are true. We are sinners by nature and by choice, but it's dead in those trespasses. So as we're going back to revisiting this, I I just, I want to remember the state you were in. Remember this. It's, it's the, the idea of trespass. I mean, just think of the word when you trespass something, there is a place you are allowed to be. And you go outside of those confines. Now, this is important because as you look back on your old life, the way that you were operating, you thought was bringing you life. But it wasn't just because of those things, but it was actually in those things that you were dead. So, so let, let's give an example. I've used this example a hundred times. People love when I use it. Emails, the emails prove that people love that, that when I use it. Alcohol, okay? Um, so, so there is a good godly way to drink alcohol, to enjoy what God has given in alcohol. Now, I don't do that, of course, because I'm not a sinner, but you can do this, okay? 
I have to say that every single time. Um, okay? Now, 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 now hear me. There is a good God-honoring way to do that. But there is also another way to enjoy alcohol. And this other way is the, the way of death. So there is a, a life-giving way to enjoy alcohol. And there is a, a way outside of that life-giving way that you trespass into that brings death. That is a way of death. And this is important because the way that God has created the world, there's no middle ground in this. And, and as if you're a parent, I mean, hear this. This is huge. This is huge. You've got to teach your kids early on that God has designed the world, that there are ways to enjoy it for his glory, and then there's everything else. This is true of food. This is true of technology. This is true of friendships. All of it. We've got to get on the ground early, recognizing you can enjoy technology. You can watch TV, but there is a point when you can watch too much TV, and it becomes deathly. It, it does. That There's something about that. And so, so my, my, my point in this is that the way that you operated in your old life, you trespass outside of God, goods, consequences, and, and it wasn't just because of those trespasses. It was actually in those trespasses that you were operating in death. That's, that's huge to, to understand that that's where we were. It's huge for our text moving forward. So he says this, uh, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. And are you ready for this? By grace. You have been saved. So finally we get to um, what he did. So what we got to last week was we were dead. And now he made us alive. Now there's three words that you're going to see in this text. You can look at it here in in five and in six. Uh, He made us alive. You're going to see that. You're also going to see raised up and seated us. Those three verb statements, verbal statements. He made us alive. He raised us up and he seated us are are meant to go together. So that's how God responded. This is every movie where someone dies for a moment. You think he's dead. He's dead. Your heart stops and he comes alive. There's something that we thought I, I was dead. I was dead. I was dead. And I came back to life. No, God made us alive. Now he makes this statement and it's almost like in parentheses. You, you almost don't know how to say it. You're like reading it. Like even when we're dead in our trespasses, made us alive to, together in Christ by grace, you've been saved and raised us up with him and see this. It's like this quick little, I don't know, uh, uh, parentheses. You don't, you don't know what to do this with this statement by grace. You have been saved. Now we're going to talk about um, this a lot next week. All of next week is going to be devoted to this exact statement. But when we read by grace, uh, you have been saved. Um, I, I just want to point out very quickly, because it's going to help moving forward. Um, can you just acknowledge in that statement that as you were dead, he made us alive? That first and foremost, it's an easy yes and amen. He did it. Yes, he did it. You did not do this. But let's state, let's go a little bit further contextually. Your religion has failed you. Like, like r- r- we'll assume that was an amen there. Um, <laughs> Your religion has, the basic premise of religion is, if you do enough good things, then good things should happen. That's the premise of religion, right? And I think Christianity, obviously, being a religion, there's a beauty to it, which we can unpack later. But the way that we modern day speak and talk about religion is not the way that I think Christianity speaks to religion, pure and undefiled religion. And so there's something going on here that I think is worth noting, that by grace you have been saved is a big statement, uh, so Candace and I really like this show, The Good Place. Um, I can't stand Kristen Bell. Pretty much anything she stands for, I can't stand. Uh, but in this show, it's the story of Kristen Bell that um, 
she ends up dying, and there's, I won't ruin it for you, whether you want to watch it or not. Um, I'm only watching it because I love my wife. But, um, <laughs> but the, the basic idea is if you accrued enough goodness on this earth, then you get to go to the good place. And then there's this whole battle in the second season as to whether or not they've learned enough, have done enough, than to be moved and placed in the good place, or should they go to the bad place? The, the, the idea and the, the air you breathe is not by grace you have been saved. You were dead in your trespasses, but you chose to call on Jesus. Not only did you chose to call on Jesus, you, you now pursue Jesus. He's far off, exactly how I started. He feels far off, but I'm pressing in. He doesn't want to draw near to me. But, but you, you got the church game right. You got the community game right. No, listen, again, by grace, you have been saved. You were dead. And he made you alive. Why? Why did he make me alive? Why did he make my neighbor alive? I don't know. I don't know what to tell you, bro. He made you alive. He did it. It was his work. So again, made us alive together with Christ. By grace, you have been saved. Just know that word saved is, is in Greek, an intense, it's done, perfect tense. It's you're saved, you're set, be secure in that. But Uh, uh, there's another time for that. And now let's get to verse six because the two other verbal statements, he made us alive, now raised us up and seated. This is how God responds to our deadness. He made us alive, raised us up and seated us. Verse six, we'll read that. And, so he made us alive together, by grace we've been saved, and raised us up with him and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. Okay, so, We know the first part. If you're a believer, you've been a believer long enough, you were dead in your sins. You were following what you wanted to follow. You were doing what you wanted to do. But you were a slave. You didn't know it, but you were a slave to yourself. You were a slave to your sin. But God saved you out of that. Good. We got it. Not only did he save you out of that, one day you will be raised up and spend eternity with him. Yes and amen. But more than that, not only will you be raised up to the heavens, spend eternity with him, you will spend eternity in Christ Jesus at the right hand of the Father. This is a crazy exchange. And the only way that that I can process this is to tell you what would have been the opposite. Because what this text is about to do is it's beginning to leak itself into future propositions. This is what you can know to be true. But let's talk just for a moment to make this all the more beautiful, to know how much we've been forgiven, what would have been true. Because it doesn't take fire and brimstone preachers to make me wonder about hell. It doesn't, it, it, doesn't, it doesn't take long without reading the Gospels to see how much Jesus talks about this. What would have been true. Jesus talks about hell. The very Jesus that saved us talks about hell more than anyone in the Bible. This isn't, this isn't some 1960s Baptist preacher hitting the Bible trying to tell you Jesus is putting what would have been true in front of you long ago. And in case you forgot, listen, this is what would have been true. And maybe, I love you, if you're, you're not a believer, hear me, this is what is true for you. Listen to this. In Matthew 5.30, he's the one who warned the church most vividly to cut off your sinning hand rather than go with two hands into hell. In Matthew 13, 42, that all evildoers will be thrown into a furnace of fire. Matthew 25, 46, the goats on his left hand, the, the people who are not believers, will go into eternal punishment. Matthew 8, 12, there there's weeping and gnashing of teeth 
And then again, in Hebrews, outside just the confines of Jesus, Hebrews 9.37, again and again he warned that he is appointed unto man once to die, and after that comes judgment. So, so I think we get this. Redemption, we believe in a physical, real, eternal hell. Not like you can dig down deep and find it. Been there before. Charismatic world messed me up. Um, okay? But, but we believe it's a very real place. In the same way, heaven is a very real place. Okay? We know that to be true, that there's physical torment. But, but can I just speak to the separation aspect of this as well? Can you remember and look back just for a moment when you were dead in your sins, how far you felt? So last week, um, we went to Disneyland. We spent uh, a week there. Candace's parents went all out. I mean, we stayed at the Disneyland hotel. It was legit, okay? Um, Eating dinner with Goofy. You know what I'm saying? It's crazy. Mickey was sleeping next to Titus that night. It was crazy, okay? (laughs) So so we're, we're at Disneyland. Uh, the first day, so we went for, we were, we had a park hopper pass, and the first day we decided to spend in Disneyland, and we're leaving the first day, and we're walking out, and as we walk out, Candace goes, where's Titus? We're out of the park. We're, we're already out of the park. Now, if you're a parent, you don't even know, need to know what, you're, what I'm feeling in that moment. I'm like, oh, heck no! No one move right now! I'm yelling to the security guards, put things on lockdown! Okay. And I, I, go, I go right back into the exit. I'm like, I'm finding my kid. You could try to stop me, right? Okay? I go right back in, and I just start crying out, Titus! Titus! And everyone's looking at me like, I don't care what you think of me. I'm trying to find my eight-year-old son. Okay? And there he is. He's just talking to a stranger like Titus does. Okay? But, but here's what's important. That feeling. That feeling. I mean, that like... I mean, you, if you're a parent, you just, you feel it for a split second. You go, oh gosh, that feel, imagine, imagine that feeling forever. Imagine that feeling like, I, oh my gosh, I'm lost. I, I, imagine now you're not the parent, but you're the child. All security, all, 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 all like covering is gone. You're vulnerable. Imagine that. That was your reality. And he has taken that reality and not just taken you from it to live in the middle ground, but you've become an heir. This is a a crazy, this is Brewster's Millions type stuff. We don't know what to do with this. This is all kinds of cash flow. We don't, we have no idea what to do with this. That he has responded in such a way with such an inheritance from such depravity to such beauty. That this, this is something that, that our minds will spend eternity trying to reconcile. And matter of fact, that's exactly what he does next. He tells us that exact truth. That whatever should be going on within you when you hear the goodness and the grace of God will actually continue to be echoed for all of eternity. Maybe you don't believe me, so look at it. Verse 7. So that he did this in love, saved us, made us alive, so that in the coming ages he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace in kindness towards us in Christ Jesus. <laughs> like a proud papa, look who I saved. Like, like here, here, I mean, listen to the piling on of words. So we've had mercy, we've had love. He might show in the coming ages, 
for the future, the coming age to exist for all of eternity, he will continue to show as a trophy. He will point back to the people, you and I, who he has saved to show the immeasurable riches of his grace in kindness. Mercy, love, grace. Look how kind he is. Like he didn't deserve it. Look, Look how kind he is. Show his, his kindness towards us in Christ Jesus. Uh, Reverend Paul Gibson uh, had ref, uh, um, retired a few years back from Cambridge Hall. And uh, he was the principal dean of students there. And one of the students had painted a portrait of him. And they put it up on the wall. Uh, and they revealed it in his, his last, uh, he had a lecture with all the students. And it was his, his last deal. And he was sharing. And as he looked at the portrait, I, I loved what he said. Listen, listen to this. He says, in the future, people will be looking at the picture And they will not ask, who is that man? But because it is such a good painting, they will ask, who painted that portrait? Like the focal points in all of this, you being raised because of Jesus Christ, you sitting at him, people are not going to go, man, Sean, that dude is awesome. No, no, I'm, I'm like the picture. He's the painter. They're going to go, Wow, that dude was saved. <laughs> like, like there, there, there's something to an element of this that just brings all glory back to what Jesus did on the cross, brings all glory back to the will of the Father, brings all glory back to how the Spirit moves in our lives. This is so true. This is so good. And it will echo for all of eternity. So, how to respond to this is important because I think there's four um, different people. I, I usually don't do like a, hey, uh, this is, this is a, a proper response to this. But I think there's four different people I'd like to address in the room. But before I do, um, know this. What's going on in your heart? Let me share one more story from Disneyland because this will be the last one. I never want to talk about it again. Um, the, the last night, second to last night or last night uh, we were there, we, f- we went to the, the big water show. So at night, Disneyland has this thing. It starts at, of course, midnight or something late. It was like 9.45. Um, it's in uh, um, California Adventure or whatever it's called. It's, we're there. And so they, it's ama- It's crazy. I mean, you, you're already at Disneyland and you're already experiencing things that you're going, how do they do that? But then they do this water show. And I'm not kidding when I say this. They're projecting water into the sky and showing movies on it. That, like, you act like that's not, you do that. <laughs> They're projecting water into the sky. And it's like, it's crazy. It's crazy. And so I watched this thing for 15 minutes. And at this point, we've been at Disneyland and California Adventure for like three days. I watched it for 15 minutes. As amazing as it is, I was kind of done. I took Anna. My ankle was hobbling at that point. It's like, we're going back to the hotel. Okay. I was done. As amazing as it was, I was kind of done with Disneyland. When I first saw it, it was crazy. When I first saw the Amatrons, Indiana Jones, the the new uh, Guardians of the Galaxy ride, super legit. Like, awesome. But I was done. And I think think like as I'm hobbling back with Anna, realizing and contemplating grace, realizing how often do I grow tired of just knowing the amazingness of your grace— like, how often does that take place? I saw that water shoot up in the sky, and Ariel was up there, and I'm going, that, I don't even know how they're doing that. That's witchcraft-type stuff. And at the end, I'm going, cool. 
And, and, and because of that, I think there's four people in the room that, that um, I, I would like to, to share in this. So um, the first person is this. Those of you who are in the room that are just a mess, like the broken, like, like those who um, half the room wouldn't even believe what you're coming from right now, like even last night, like you're just, you're a mess. And maybe you made a mess of your life or maybe like just circumstances made a mess of your life but you are done. There is no greater section of scripture to call you to the cross. Like he's literally telling us he takes dead, motionless things, brings them to life and makes them royalty. What better position could you be in than to come to the cross? The second person is the prideful. This is important because um, the arrogance that can, can go along with, with you thinking that you are awesome, honestly, gets so mixed, mixed up. Like, and it's, you know, um, there, there's an element to, I, I watched a, a, a video, a TED talk, it's Ted Med, and it was on uh, David Blaine and how he held his breath for 17 minutes. Amazing. Just how he ended up getting there, right? And there's an element that I look at David Blaine, and I go, 17 minutes underwater holding his breath. It's not a magic trick. Legit did it, holds his breath for 17 minutes. And, and, I'm, and, I'm, and I'm thinking to myself, I, I could not, I, that's insane. That's insane. And he has everything on me to go, I could hold my breath longer than you. He has every posture. But here's what's crazy. God above him has everything. I gave you lungs, bro. I gave you lungs. I gave your brain the ability to do what it's doing. Listen to me. That's just true of all of us. The arrogance we're bringing to the table, man, lay it down. The brain you have to calculate mathematically, scientifically, technically, the things that you do for your job or school, that is not you. That is a gift from God. That is something God has given you. The physical status, the, the posture which you hold, the, 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 I don't know, you're strong, okay? Whatever it is, whatever it is, that's a gift of God. You, you have these gifts. Lay down that pride. He has given you that. Man, man he, he could brain dead on your way home. Honestly. I'm trying to be morbid, but that's just the reality. He has given you what you have. Whatever pride, remember, you're dead. Even with all that cool swag you think you have, you're dead. And the third thing, the, the third person I want to address is the new believer in the room. If, if you just recently became a believer and you know this to be true and you're super jacked about this to be true, matter of fact, um, you're maybe being baptized next week, Easter, we're doing baptisms in the gym. I'm super excited. We're all gonna do one service so we can rally around those who are being baptized. Super excited about it. Maybe that's you. Maybe you should do that because you need to be baptized. But wherever you're at on that spectrum, if you're a new believer, what you're feeling right now, let me just, can I exhort you in this, like just give you a word of encouragement and, and maybe just, uh, uh, just a, a buyer beware, that veneer is going to wear off. And be careful because whether it be the world, let's, let's use Jesus's language, whether it be like the birds of the air, whether it be being rocky soil, whatever it is, it's going to feel like it wants to drift away. Continue to be grateful for what God has done. And I promise that will keep you at the center of the cross. Be grateful for what you have. Be grateful for what God has done in your life, where he saved you from, who he is. 
And then the last um, person I want to address is the believer who's been mature for a while now. And the one who has had uh, the opportunity to hear this message a thousand different times. I, I, I want to piggyback on exactly what I told the new believer, but I want to work it in reverse. You probably already have noticed that following Jesus is not easy at all. And I don't mean because of persecution, though that day may come. I mean just simply because you don't want to sometimes. No, you don't want to pretty much all the time. I mean, I, I just, here, here's, here's, there's no working out of that groove. That there's moments where you want to like, God, if you're there, if I can see you, if I can know, hear me. Here, here's, here's what we've got. You've received the end of your faith, which is the salvation of your soul, according to 1 Peter 1.9. But if you back that up, listen, I love this. He's refining your faith like gold in verse 5. Like you, you believe, you say you believe, you sing to him today and next week. You, you're trying to get, and you're trying to know him more. And he's having you press in. He's having you press in. And there's no amount of works you doing it, but this thing is not easy. Faithful, same obedience in that faithful, same direction. And then here's the last thing I say to both the new believer and the mature believer. Um, I have a big issue with when I experience something really good. I know some of you are like this as well. Like I, I'm, I legitimately feel like I'm going to die if I don't tell people. Like when I find a spot that I, so every meeting I have is at Chipotle right? It's like, I love Chipotle. I'm like, hey, let's do lunch. Where do you want to go? Uh, Chipotle, because it's the greatest place on the planet. So like we're doing, because I found Chipotle like two years ago, and it was found Jesus as the greatest thing, wife, kids, Chipotle. And I'm not even sure it's in that order, okay? <laughs> Just kidding. Uh, so, so, so hear me, hear me. When I find something, I, I, I want to tell. So Candace and I go to Santa Monica every single year for a, an anniversary trip, and we find a spot, and I want to share it. Hear me. This news is called good news because it is worth sharing. It is good news. And I know you think, yeah, everybody knows. No, they don't. They're living in the deadness of their sin. And if you give it time through relationship and you peel away at that onion, you will see, you, you, you'll begin to see in these relationships the brokenness they truly have, the fragile nature of their worldview, like the posture that they hold in like hopelessness. This is worth sharing. It is worth building relationships for. It is good news that we were dead in our trespasses. But he made us alive by grace. We have been saved. He seated us at the right hand, like with Jesus in the heavenly places. This is good news. So that for the coming ages, all eternity, he's going to brag about what he did. And hear that. Hear that with the posture of humility. Hear and let it do something. I finish no better way than Spurgeon. I love this. None but God would ever have thought of justifying me. I'm a wonder even to myself. Let's pray. Father, it's true. 
that only you would think of justifying people like us. It's true that sometimes it's even amazing as we look back on our old life where we are. Like, how could we possibly get there? There's no way we could have conjured up or planned to be the type of person that we are. But Jesus, this is your crazy, slow, miraculous work in our lives. May a spirit of gratefulness permeate the room right now, Holy Spirit. May you come down and rest on our hearts for those who don't know you. May they call upon you. May they feel, may they have ears to hear, hearts to believe, eyes to see. Give them the ability to see, Holy Spirit, please. Lord, for those of us who are believers, may we continue to lean into the goodness and grace that you have provided, that we were dead, but now we're alive. Thanks for that. Thanks for Ephesians 4, or 2, 4 through 7. Unbelievable reminder. Just a master at writing. We love you. In Jesus' name, amen. Take some time now and just be. This time is set aside uh, to recognize that there's no, honestly, there's nothing Sean Myers can say to you to convince you, but four through seven absolutely can. The Bible is what's going to give you faith according to Romans 10, 14. And so sit and meditate, let the Holy Spirit do what he can only do. And here's what I would say. Just for a moment, meditate on gratefulness. Ponder the gratefulness that you should have towards what Jesus has done. And maybe some of your hearts have wandered from it. Maybe some of your hearts are just in a really good season where you're feeling it. Dig into that. And then someone's going to come up and lead us in our time of corporate response.